So how many in the room this morning uh, enjoy either getting something new or starting something new? Let's see a show of hands. How many of you either enjoy getting something new? Or, so if you're not raising your hand, you don't like new stuff. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's understandable. I, I, think, I think this time of year, more than any other uh, time of year, we are more focused on either getting something new or starting something new. Part of that is because if it's part of your tradition, um, when it comes to Christmas time, you usually get something new from somebody that loves you. Or, you know, when we start the new year, you are thinking about beginning some new habits, right? Or new practices, whether that's a new way of eating or a new way of exercising or some new things that you want to try that you've never tried before. There's just something about something new and starting over again that happens during this season. This morning, we're going to start something new. And it's so much more than just a new Christmas series. We're going to begin a journey together. Our hope and prayer is that as we go on this journey together, that God would continue to transform us like he did to those who went on the similar journey two millennia ago. If we were to summarize this journey in just one phrase, like a simple phrase that we can remember, it's that when we spend time with Jesus, he changes us. Let me say that again. When we spend time with Jesus, He changes us. This happened to those who, were, who encountered Jesus in the first four biographies about Him in the Bible called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give us this detailed account of who Jesus is what he taught, and what he did for us. There are story upon story of ordinary, broken men and women who many of these were considered marginalized or outcasts of that society who encountered Jesus and from that point on are never the same. Jesus came to seek and save all who were lost. That's all of us. As we've talked about, saving us is not just about the promise of an eternal life with Him after this life. It's about a new life that we get to experience now. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is given this new life. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are given the Holy Spirit who lives in us and works in us to transform us to be more like Jesus. Over the next year plus, we're going to spend time with Jesus as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. We want this journey to be so much more than just gaining more knowledge about Jesus. Now hear me, knowing more like having more knowledge about Jesus is not in and of itself a bad thing. It's important. But that's not the ultimate goal of this journey. Our ultimate goal 
is for each person to know Jesus more. During our journey, some will encounter him for the first time or some will see him for who he really is rather than what they've assumed or been taught about him. For those of us who have already encountered Jesus and put our faith in him, our hope is that this journey will deepen our relationship with him, that we will trust him and love him more. And because of this, we will continue to surrender our will to his. We hope that God will use this journey through Matthew to prepare us for the ongoing transformation that he does in us. Here are a couple of ways to illustrate how we hope this prepares us for the transformation that God works in us. The first is this picture of good soil. Matthew records an illustration or parable of Jesus about four different ways people hear and receive the message of the gospel, which is this good news about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In it, he uses four soil types to describe people's minds and hearts. He talks about hard ground. He talks about rocky soil. He talks about soil that's filled with thorns. And then he talks about good soil. And without digging too much into it, pun intended, let us just say the only good soil produces anything. We want to be good soil. We want the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus to sink into our hearts and into our minds. Good soil trusts. Good soil listens. Good soil waits. And good soil spends time with Jesus. Which leads us to the second way to illustrate how we hope this prepares us. Matthew spends more time than the other three biographers, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark, Luke, and John, in giving us a behind-the-scenes look at the time Jesus spends pouring into his disciples or his students. During his ministry, Jesus spent most of his time with this small group of, of 12-ish people. And for three years, he shows them and teaches them about a kingdom that he has come to establish, a kingdom that he came to start and a kingdom that has no end. And he prepares them not only to be a part of this kingdom, but to spread his kingdom throughout the world. Anyone, anyone who becomes, who puts their faith in Jesus becomes a disciple or a student of Jesus. And as we journey and as we journey through Matthew together, we will see him work. We will hear him teach. We will see him accomplish his ultimate mission by dying on a cross to pay the price for our sin and raise himself from the dead to give us the hope of a life after this one. I want to encourage everyone to lean in to this journey. Make it a priority. Here are some specific ways that we can do this together. The first is this. In the seat in front of you, under your seat, are these Matthew journals. And we want to invite each person to take one of these. 
um, and, and to keep one of these throughout this journey. This is a journal, it's just the book of Matthew, it's in the version that we'll be teaching through. There's a place to take notes. Our encouragement with this is for, for you to read it, for you to ask questions about it, to take notes, to read it yourself, to, to, to ask questions in the journal part, just seek what God has for you. Spend time with Jesus, reading through who he, was, who he is and what he taught and how he lived. The second question, or the second way that we want to encourage you to lean in is to participate in the equipping classes. Throughout all of this next year, during one of the services, we're going to offer different equipping classes as a way to grow in our relationship with Jesus. These classes will focus on how to read this. Like sometimes we just need to have some tools to know like what are we reading when we read through things like the book of Matthew. Learning how to pray, how to talk and communicate with God. Learning how to rest in Sabbath and learning how to listen to God Learning how to handle our resources the way that God has designed for us to handle our resources. And learning how to share our God story with others. Use these practices as a way to spend time with Jesus so you can become more like Him. And the third way would be to get better connected with one another. God designed His church so that we have the community that we need. No one has to go through life alone. Please step into deeper connections and relationships with one another, whether it's in groups or the different ways that we're going to encourage people to get connected with one another next year. Please do not allow busy to crowd out what is most important, which is our relationship with Jesus. Most scholars agree that the Gospel of Matthew was written by one of Jesus' closest followers. He was a former tax collector, and his name, anyone who guess, was Matthew. (laughs) Matthew had a front row seat to what Jesus did and heard what Jesus taught. Matthew seems to write his biography of Jesus with a particular audience in mind. Specifically the the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. Throughout all of his book, he connects Jesus with the prophecies about the coming Messiah found in the Old Testament. And there's also this really subtle thing that Matthew does in the first five chapters of this book of Matthew, this account of Jesus, that that parallel Moses' story. Like just how he begins this book, the first words that he writes are, the book of the genealogy, and the word that he uses in the Greek for genealogy is actually the word Genesis. So basically, he's writing the book of Genesis, which is a callback to Moses, who authored the book of Genesis. Jesus will, he he details, Matthew picks up the detail of the fact that Jesus was taken to Egypt, which again is a call out to Moses' time in Egypt. And then Matthew highlights the fact that after Jesus is baptized, he spends 40 
days in the wilderness, which is a callback to 40 years that the Israelites wandered with Moses in the wilderness. There's all of these parallels and connections, and what Matthew is trying to say, what he's trying to describe, and the Jewish people would have picked up on this as well, is that Jesus is the new Moses, except he's come to deliver all people. So, so let's jump into this journey this morning. Every now and again, when you read the Bible, you come across these lists of names. And if you're like me, sometimes it's easy just to kind of like either, you know, skip that part or just kind of like skim through it, right? Because who wants to read a bunch of names that most of them are really, really hard to pronounce? (laughs) It's just not super exciting reading, let's be honest. However, there's a lot of things that we can learn from these genealogies, these lists, these lineages. And the genealogy of Jesus is no exception. So let's read it together. This is on page 6, which actually ironically has no page number in those journals. But it's the first page. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, we're going to read this together. The book of the beginning, uh, the book of the genealogy, the genesis of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. And Ram was the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Hashan. And Hashan, the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jehoiakim, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jehoiakim was father of Shetiel, and Shetiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Ehud, and Ehud the father of Elihim, and Elihim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elihud, and Elihud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14, were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So I want to spend the next 
rest of our time looking at three truths that we see in this genealogy of Jesus. The first truth is this. All of the Bible is about Jesus. The Bible has two main parts. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, and each of these parts contain a collection of books and letters. 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books and letters in the New Testament. And when we read through the Bible, it's easy to think that the Old Testament and the New Testament are unrelated or unconnected. And maybe sometimes we think that the old one isn't that important. Sometimes it's hard to see how the different books and the letters are connected with one another. But this collection of 66 books and letters written by at least 35 different authors over a period of 1,500 years was written to tell one story. It's the story of a loving God working through human history to redeem and restore what sin had destroyed. And as we read in Ephesians a few weeks ago, Ephesians 4.1, Paul had written this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. What this says is that God knew what it would cost him before he spoke creation into being. He knew Adam and Eve would bring sin into the world. He knew that he would have to sacrifice himself for us so that we could be rescued from our sin, and he created us anyway. Now that's love. Each name in this list of Jesus' human lineages represents a story within the greater story of God coming to rescue us. So when we read the Old Testament, we need to do so in such a way that we see how it points us to Jesus. Some of it contains prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Some of it foreshadows who Jesus is and what Jesus will do for us. And some of it connects to the overall narrative of this one big story. Jesus makes the same claim about himself later in this same book that we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 he says this do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them now when he says law and prophets he's talking about the entire old testament that was another way of summarizing the entire old testament and Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of it all it's all about Jesus, and it all points to Jesus. It's like the summary of the Ephesians passage, that passage I shared a few weeks back from Michael DeFazio, except it applies to the entire Bible. It's a story of all of God working through all of time to save all of us. Here's the second truth, that God keeps his promises. Notice how Matthew starts this book out. Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David. The son of Abraham. 
why does Matthew single out Abraham and David? And I don't think it's just because they're probably the most well-known names on this list. God made specific promises to Abraham and David. Earlier this past year, we read about the lives of both Abraham and David and how God worked in their lives. Neither were perfect or deserving, but God chose each of them and made promises to them. First is Abraham. God chose Abraham and called him when he and Sarah had no children and they were well beyond the years that they were able to have children. But God told them despite their age, they would have a son and these were the, prom- and these were the promises that he made to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And I will make you, Abraham, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God made three promises to Abraham. The first was that he would make his name great. And God fulfilled that promise. In fact, so much so that three, the three major world religions all trace their origin back to this encounter that God has with Abraham. Christianity, the Jewish people, and the Muslim people. His descendants, he promised him, his descendants would become a great nation. And this was also fulfilled. They, his, Abraham's descendants would become the Israelite or the Jewish people. And the Arab nations also trace their lineage back to Abraham through Ishmael. Finally, the final promise is that all the families of the earth, this is another way of saying that all the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham. Not just the Jewish people, but all nations. And Jesus is the fulfillment of, of that final promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Jesus came so that anyone who puts their faith in him can be rescued from the consequences of sin. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Matthew starts his biography of Jesus with the promise to Abraham that all the world would be blessed through him and then concludes his book with the fulfillment of that promise when Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But God also made promises to David, made a promise to David as well. After David became king of Israel, God made this promise to David through Nathan the prophet. In 2 Samuel seven sixteen. he said this, he said, And your house, speaking of David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God promised David that through his lineage that there would be an eternal kingdom, one without end. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Matthew is letting his readers know that Jesus, the Christ, came through the lineage of David as the prophecies foretold, and the kingdom that Jesus came to establish will last into eternity. His rule and his reign are forever. This reminds us that God keeps his promises. What he says is not only true, it happens. God is 
always faithful even when we aren't faithful. Everything God promises about Jesus, who He is and what He has done for us is trustworthy. So when we believe that Jesus is who He says He is and we put our faith in Him, we are forgiven of all of our sin. We are made right with God and He is always with us and there's nothing that can separate us from His love. The third and final truth is this, that Jesus came for everyone. Something, there's something very unusual about this genealogy, and that's the fact that Matthew includes five women in the list. You see, Matthew wrote this in a time that was very patriarchal, and all lineages were traced back through men. But it's not only that Matthew includes women, but it's the specific women that he chooses to include that's interesting. You see, two and maybe even three of these women are not Jewish. Rahab is a Canaanite. Ruth is a Moabite. And the unnamed wife of Uriah, who is Bathsheba, many scholars believe that she was a Hittite like her husband. Matthew also mentions the deportation to Babylon because the kings and people of Judah continually disobeyed God. He allowed Babylon to capture Jerusalem and take the king and most of the nation into captivity. And they became slaves to Babylon for 70 years, including some of those in this lineage that was mentioned. So in this genealogy, Matthew lists men and women, he lists Jew and Gentile, and he lists slaves and free. Matthew is letting us know that Jesus came for everyone. And, and Paul echoes this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus came so that everyone and anyone who puts their faith in him is rescued from their sin and restored to God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It, Jesus came for you. You don't have to get your life together to accept him. All you have to do is put your faith in him. He, he came for everyone. It, it's, it's why we support global missions. It's why with our big give we're supporting global missions. It's why we go on mission trips every other year to Kenya because he came for everyone. It's why we're going to try to do better at seeing how God is at work in the entire world this next year. There's no one like Jesus. Only Jesus is our hope. Only Jesus is the truth. And only in Jesus do we find life. I hope that you'll stay on this journey with us. And if you do so, if you'll spend time with Jesus, you'll never be the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the difference that he makes in our life. And Father, I pray that as we spend time 
with you, that as we spend time with Jesus, Father, that you would continue to transform us to be the people that you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.